Good morning. Uh, I'm excited uh, that we're able to continue as we look at uh, the book of Galatians. Uh, Today we'll be looking at chapter 4, and yet uh, I've had to recognize that there are some unique aspects of what we're experiencing. Um, I think most of us, if you received an email or a letter today, would probably not begin by reading the first page and then setting it down and waiting a week or two and then reading the second page of the email and then setting it down and reading it uh, two or three weeks later. But um, the way that we've gotten through the book of Galatians has sort of been that uh, type of an experience as we've looked at uh, this over a period of time because we've had different people coming and going. Uh, Today is also a challenging day for us in our worship service in a similar way in that uh, certainly we're very thankful to have heard how God is working in the lives of so many different people. And even as we heard what Melanie had to share today, because we want to keep praying for Melanie because she's on a pathway of uh, searching for God's will and potential redirection of some things in her life. And she is our sister with a hunger to find exactly what God has for her. So let's keep remembering her in our prayers. Um, Today we're also going to have a a special time, uh, a short testimony, but we've asked uh, Francis Kim, who is preaching at this moment downstairs in the Mandarin congregation, uh, to come and to give us a short moment of testimony um, just so we'll know who she is and be able to have a relationship with her. She's already preached in the Cantonese service once this morning. She's doing the Mandarin service now and we'll do the Cantonese service at 11.15. So, if this is not a royal uh, introduction into our church, I don't know what is. But uh, we will have her come in for just a few minutes toward the end of our service today. And it's it's always interesting to me, I'm very thankful that just a matter of a few months back, we, we changed our time schedule. Uh, if you look at the, uh, the bottom right on your order of worship, it mentions that uh, we're to pick up the children at 10.50, no longer at 10.45. The reminder there is so to give a few more minutes and hopefully we can wrap up our services. Well, today we will test that possibility with all of the things we have happening. I would like, as we move into this, to first go ahead and be be honest and sincere in what we do. And I would like to have a moment of prayer, specifically for Melanie. Father God, I thank You for the testimony we've heard this morning of how You have worked in the lives of different Melanies, but specifically our Melanie. And we pray that You would give her Your direction, Your guidance, Your courage, Your strength, Your burden, that uh, her future would be firmly in your hands and she would be willing to do anything and everything that you would direct her to do. And if your, your will is different than she has in mind, we would ask she would have the courage to, uh, to place her own wishes down. And Father, in that same way, we would ask that you would train each and every one of us to seek Your will before our own dreams and goals and aspirations. In Jesus' name, Amen. As we look at Galatians chapter 4, uh, we can see quite a, a, a continuation 
of the topic of justification by faith. Apparently it was a big thing because it deserved a couple of uh, chapters from Paul when he was writing. Because in chapter 3 we already had discussed that. But I want to go back and remind us very quickly. The book of Galatians was written by Paul to a group of churches that he had a burden for because he had helped start those churches. He had a burden to see them be healthy. And he dared to share his testimony and his history. And he admitted that in the past he had been very, very poor in his attitude toward Christianity. That indeed he had persecuted the church. And he reminds them in his writing, I know this is the kind of person that I am. I know I am a sinner. I know what I did. And in those other chapters, in chapters 1, 2, and 3, he explains his own difficult history, and yet still watching how God changed his life and could use even him in his sinful state to serve this Father that loves him so much. And I think there's something in there certainly for you and I to learn and to grasp, and that is your past sins, your past attitudes toward God, your past attitudes towards your brother, your sister, your friends, is not as important as what God can do with you in the future. God is willing to cleanse our sins if we will repent and give us a new start. Give us a new opportunity. So each and every day is a fresh new opportunity. Now that's a miracle. Because I look at my own life and I can think of things that I've done in the past and I can see how I failed God in many ways. And yet God allows me to continue to go forward with His blessing. And so Paul goes back and reviews all of this. And in his process, as he's talking to this Galatian church, he's reminding them that your relationship with God is not dependent on whether you do good works. Whether or not people can look and say, man, he is really an outstanding person and Christian and social worker even. Paul is saying to them, it's not your works, it's your faith. It's your relationship with God that's important. Now, it's not saying that our works are not important at all, but it's saying that our works are a result of the relationship. Because we walk with God, because Melanie says to God, God, I want to know your will for my life. Because we start by placing ourselves in the hands of God, it is that we change, that our values change, that our morals change, that our attitudes change. I know I've seen, I can remember back in, in uh, some of my experiences overseas where I would be in a church environment and we would find that people were ready to come forth in their commitment to the church to either join the church or to be baptized. Well, see, even in, in Galatians, we see references to these things as far as baptism. And so there's a, there's a, there's a connection, an ownership, a, a tie-in with the body that's important. But I can remember churches where we had people that would say, well, first we have to give you your test to see if you can pass and if you can pass the test, then you can be baptized. We still give, even in our church, some, some information. We want to be sure people are clear in what they believe. But it's not based on 
you're having changed yourself that you can become a Christian. It's not based on your having changed yourself that you become baptized. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what God is doing in your life. And that change is because He is active in changing your thinking and your values and all that you are. And Paul is saying that to these people as he says, is it your works or your hearing, your faith that comes first? And he's trying to remind them and teach them of that. Well, after he goes through that in those first three chapters and he talks about his challenges, personal challenges between him and Peter, because he speaks of he and Peter having a, a major conflict um, and again, he explains why the conflict existed. He admitted he was human. He admitted Peter was human. And yet, he said, you know, still God can straighten things out and get us all together in our work. So he goes through all of this description, and then he begins to really, in chapter 3, go into detail on what it is to be justified, to what it is to be Placed in a righteous relationship with God. Doesn't mean you've worked your way, does not mean you've worked your way into being holy. You've not designed yourself in such a way that you no longer have sin in your life. That is not the case. The emphasis is on justification based on our faith. A cleansing that can come because of our dependency on Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's not about you. Our challenge is just the willingness to be dependent and to be humble and to confess our sins. So in chapter 4, verses 1 to 7, he continues to talk about justification by faith. The search to be holy. You know, part of the problem in chapter 4, verses 1 to 7, he could see that part of the issue was that there was a search to be holy without repentance or without change. It's kind of an interesting thing. I can remember uh, when I was in school hearing about uh, what was referred to as uh, cheap grace. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer was an author uh, back in the uh, 30s who wrote uh, and talked about the, the reality that many people had reached the point they felt that it was possible to receive the grace of God, the holiness of God, but there was a way to almost just say, whatever it is, it's okay because it's God's responsibility to love us because He created us. It's a way of never having to face up to your sin. You know, in our church, cheap grace is something we never sell. You know, but the problem with not selling cheap grace is it makes it harder for some people to become a Christian. I've often wondered why it is that not everybody, as soon as they hear, Jesus loves you, they ought to jump up and say, isn't that great? But that's not what we say. We tend to think, well, what do I have to do to get that grace? What do I have to do to get that love? What are the efforts that I must make? The Scripture says it's not about what you do. It's about who Christ is. 
I remember as we look at chapter 4, verses 1 to 7, and it talks about adoption. Now, understand the world that Paul was dealing with is a little different than our world. His issues were different than our issues. His issue was trying to help these people to understand their theology. Now, don't misunderstand. Our theology is very, very important. What you believe and how you believe it is important. It's significant. impacts your values and what you do with your life. If you look here and you look in chapter 4, verses 1, you begin to see that it talks about being adopted as sons of God. Now, I don't know how you are about adoption, but I remember... I had a very interesting experience a number of years ago where I was traveling in uh, southern China and I had gone to a particular city. And it was I was bringing a friend of mine that was going to be working in China as well. And we had gone to this particular town, in, it's actually called Nanchang. And we went to this town and we were at the airport about ready to leave and we were just uh, waiting. We had been having a meetings or had meetings with some schools there trying to set up some partnerships for teachers and for students and people going back and forth to different places. And it, was, it had been a great meeting, but then I heard an announcement and my friend did not speak Mandarin. And the announcement uh, resulted in a typical uh, experience that I found in China where the whole group of cattle all ran toward the door at the same time. And it was really that kind of a feeling because the announcement came saying, the flight that we were going to be flying on, going back to Hong Kong, had been canceled. And when I say cattle, I promise you, everybody was standing up, running toward the, the area over on one side where they could possibly get a change of flight. And it was just amazing. But my friend, who didn't understand any Mandarin, was sitting there just as happy as could be, and life was good, and I was watching all these people go away. And I knew we're about to have to go into that mess over there to see what we can do. Well, about that same time, we had looked over and there was this little group of, above, of uh, Westerners that were sitting and they weren't moving. And they were all playing around with these little babies. So I knew this was one of these adoption things that had gone on. And there were six little children being adopted. So we had about 12 Westerners sitting over there and they didn't know what was going on. They were just waiting on their plane. Life was good, uh, except that it wasn't as good as they thought it was. And so my friend and I were talking and I told him what happened. He said, oh my. He said, well, he said, there's some other people over there. I wonder what uh, they're going to do. And I said, I know what they're going to do. And we need to go tell them. And this is not going to be fun. So I went over and explained to them what the situation was and that they were going to have to try to find an alternative path back to Hong Kong. And in my case, I ended up going north, then west, and then south. And then I went through Guangzhou, going back to Hong Kong. So, I mean, I went. It, it, it was a route that I had not desired. But as we talked with them, we learned that one of the couples uh, had a sick wife that was there. And my friend, was, he was trying to relate to them well. He came up and he asked me, he said, Oh, your babies, they're so cute. Yes, he says, is it a boy or a girl? Well, of course, my response was, I looked at him when he asked the question. I thought, are you kidding? You don't even know that about China? I said, of course, they're all girls. And I said, you know, unless they've got some kind of a major physical deformity, they're, they're going to be girls. That's just the way it's going to be. 
And of course, each one was, it's a girl, it's a girl, it's a girl. It's... So it was a sick little girl. And so, we went through this process and finally this lady that was ill, they started having concern for her and they had found that we, or we had ultimately found that there was one, one person or one slot in there for an empty seat that, that was still available. And the whole group agreed that they should place her in that seat to go directly to Guangzhou. See, the problem was they had to go to Guangzhou to first get a passport for the children, and they had already arranged the passport situation for the next day so that they could leave, and it was all before Christmas. If they didn't make it on that Friday, they were going to be in China for three weeks. And they did not have the money or the resources. Well, the way it all worked out was they finally got to that particular one that went to directly to Guangzhou, and the other ones we went, and I, I led a little group. Suddenly, I found myself leading the little ducklings around. You know, we really didn't have any choice. Uh, it was something we needed to do, and we did. And so we found another pathway, but we got in about midnight, and they had an 8 a.m. appointment. And so all of them ended up making it. And so from then on, I became the best friends of those people. And so they continued to write emails to me and stay in contact about how the children were doing and all this kind of thing. But adoption for them very much helped me to understand... For them, this adoption was so important because it was the inviting of one who had no relationship with them into their family as an equal heir of all that they were. And in chapter 4, verses 1 to 7, the explanation Paul is making, he's talking about how children are much like slaves or anything else in the sense that they all have to have some guidance in life. If there's no one there to guide their days and give them correction and help them know what is right and wrong, they're not going to do very well in life. But Paul says that with Christ, through Christ, people may be adopted. Now, the reason I say people may be adopted is to remind you and me. We are born... Because God created us. We have life because God gave us life. But our relationship with Jesus is because we have made a decision to allow Him to become our Savior and our Lord. Without Christ, the Galatians were living an existence kind of experience. And this was something that Paul understood. He tried to challenge them to recognize that they needed to allow the adoption that was available to become a reality in their lives. That indeed they had said they had made a decision to follow Christ. These were people within their church. The church people should have known better. And Paul was saying, you know better than what you're doing. You have got people who have come into your church who are teaching you things that are not right. You are being impacted by the world and the values that have nothing to do with what Scripture has taught us. Nothing to do with God's value. How can that possibly be the case? And he, he, he says, within your, and again in verses 1 to 7, there's a certain point in there where the term Abba Father, verse 6, says that the Holy Spirit it speaks for you. 
has desire to see you walk in joy and in healthy relationships. Paul writes as an optimistic pastor. And he says, because you are sons, the Spirit cries out, Abba, Father, on our behalf. Romans 8.26 has the Holy Spirit praying with groaning for those of us who who are hungering for God. Do you hunger for God? I'm talking about you and me. Do we appreciate that the Holy Spirit cares enough to guide our lives? If we will depend not on the law of the flesh, but on Christ, the Holy Spirit becomes our advocate in every way. At the same time, Paul knew the challenges of his word. Martin Luther, 500 years ago, Martin Luther wrote the following, In all these difficulties, we have only one support, the gospel of Christ. To hold on to it, that is the trick. Christ cannot be perceived with the senses. We cannot see him. The heart does not feel his presence, his helpful presence. Especially in times of trials, a Christian feels the power of sin the infirmity of his flesh, the goading darts from the devil, the shivers of death, the scowl and judgment of God. All these things cry out against us. The law scolds us. Sin screams at us. Death thunders at us. The devil roars at us. In the midst of the clamor, the Spirit of Christ cries in our hearts, Abba, Father. And this little cry of the Spirit transcends the hullabaloo of the law, sin, death, and the devil, and finds a hearing with God. Paul understood Abba Father, that relationship. How well do we do? The value of our relationship with the Lord. The hunger for that relationship. Chapter 4, verses 8 to 20 shows a pastor's burden for his people. Pastor Paul represents a truly transparent pastor. He's a risk taker with relationships, to say that he believes to be true and clear as he reminds the Galatians that he knows that they have had better days with God. He speaks of their total dependency in the days past to the service of God. So what happened? In verse 16, Paul simply asks, if these people can handle the truth. Can they handle the honesty? He's disappointed. He feels that the law and their own dependency on their own skills and their flesh has taken over their understanding of who they are. They've somehow started treating their walk with God as something that can be compartmentalized. 
You know, I fear for you and fear for me that we somehow treat our walk with Christ as something that is a Sunday morning experience. Paul is saying our walk with God must be 24 hours a day. In early days, verse 5, Paul says that he can remember the deep commitment of his people. He's hungering for that same kind of deep commitment to return. He described himself as having been ill, and yet they took care of him. They welcomed him. They appreciated what he was doing on their behalf. I feel that sometimes they are not very different from us. We find that uh, when difficult days come in our walk with Christ, we sometimes find ourselves backing away a bit. Can you remember days that were you were deeper or in better condition in your relationship with God? Do you ever find yourself jumping from teacher to teacher, from church to church, book to book, trying to find something that's a little bit more interesting, a little more challenging, a little bit more fun? Paul says that the problem is spiritual and that the issue is not outside of man, and what they will find outside, but it's what's going on inside of man. Yesterday we had a training here for some orientation of new people working within our church and different committees. And one of the topics we did talk on, speak about for just a moment was Scripture. And that again was a reminder to us to say, your goal in mind must be to allow the Scripture to be our teacher, not us, the interpreter who changes the meaning of Scripture. Scripture sometimes is not convenient. Sometimes what God asks of us is difficult, is challenging. I'm certain that when Christ was looking at some of the responsibilities that He had in life, it was not an easy path. But He had a commitment to living out His responsibility. And we must have that same commitment. Be it law... The flesh are external inputs. The greatest need is to have Christ be formed within you. That's in verse 19. How teachable are we? Do we hunger and thirst after righteousness? Does it matter that we understand justification of faith? Justification by faith. I would say to you, it's very important. It's important to them, it's important to us, and we need to understand. Verses, chapter 4, verses 21 to 31, Paul continues, and he uses a little story here. And he goes back and he uses a story that relates to those people. As he goes back and he looks at the Old Testament, he says, you know, we are all from the same root. And that root is Abraham. And from that root, we can see his history. And he describes the family of Abraham. And we all know the miracle that occurred there because we had a man who was 90 years old still having children. That was a miracle of God. But he goes ahead and he describes that from that root there is this potential of being a part of the family of God through adoption. Paul saw the... uh, Well... Christ foresaw the reaction of the world. 
to the gospel. He said, I am come to send fire on earth, and where will I if it be already kindled? In Luke chapter 12, 49, Jesus stated, If you are of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, I have chosen you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Paul understood the thinking that's presented here. He understood that if you represent the world with your life, you're going to have challenges. Because you can find comfort there. You can find it convenient. But within your spiritual inward nature, you will know the wrong that is being committed. And so if we look at the the end of chapter 4, we can see he even dares to mention persecution will come because even as you look back at Abraham and the streams of children that came, there was one stream that was truly a very holy spiritual stream that God created from the promise that He had given. And it goes back, and if you look at this, the chapter 4, verses 21 to 31, you can see how this allegory that's used describes one side as being a direction that is non-spiritual in focus and one that is very, very focused on trying to find God's will and direction. Verse 29 is probably one of the Scriptures that shakes me the most. This is probably because it is in verse 29 where I see a reminder from Paul to the churches at Galatia. He reminds them that those born of the Spirit can expect persecution by those who are living by the flesh. We should not find a surprise that we have difficulties in our day and times. Recently I received a booklet from a church that had some subjects that I thought, my goodness, it's wonderful to see a church that would dare to deal with these subjects, but the subjects alone help us to understand. To truly follow Christ in every sense of the word is to follow a difficult path. And I'm going to read for you some of the subjects that I found in the booklet. Number one, sexuality without definition or standards. Premarital sex. Based on Hollywood norms and challenges to youth, we can see that issue. Extramarital affairs. Businessmen who are working in China, I've seen this issue and problem for years and years. Adultery, a term that is losing its meaning entirely because we laugh it off and we watch the movies and they pretend like it's nothing. Cohabitation, an experimental marriage. Divorce as an alternative to hard work. Remarriage again and again and again. And the divorce that comes with it. Abortion as a contraceptive method. And disregarding the creation of life and where it came from. Idolatry. And what are your idols? Ancestor worship. Superstition. 
The reason I read these is simply to say, Paul was daring to talk about justification by faith. Saying that the only way you or I will ever be justified is by the blood of Jesus. It's not based on your works, not based on your thinking, not based on your church attendance, not based on your singing in the choir, not based on any of those things. Justification is based on faith. We do need to learn about our world. We need to know what the challenges are. But I would say that Galatians 5.1 sums it up very well. So he goes through all of chapter 4 talking about justification, but in Galatians 5.1 it says, Stand in the liberty wherewith Christ has set you free and be not entangled in the yoke of bondage. Freedom is available. And he's saying that to his people. And he's saying, I love you as a church. I care about you. I started you as a church. I want to see you walk with God daily and find joy in your life. Stand in the liberty. Christ has set you free. But you've got things in your life that are trying to tie you up. Some of us have things in our lives that tie us up. My prayer would be that we find what it is to allow Christ to set us free. Let us pray. Father God, we come to You today giving You praise that we can stand in the liberty that You have given us beyond our own thinking, our ability, our skills, our knowledge. We can find confidence and safety and security because our justification, our righteousness, our holiness is not dependent on ourselves. Because if it were, we would fail. But Father, we give You the praise that You somehow in the midst of all of our sinfulness work and do Your job and care for us and love us beyond anything we can understand. Father God, we praise You for that. We ask that You would help us to value that so highly that we cannot control our tongue. We must tell other people about Jesus. We must have other people come to know that life's meaning is found in a walk and a fellowship with You. Father, help us to appreciate what You give us each and every day. In Jesus' name, Amen.